Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 29th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The Sitka Sound Sacro Herring Fishery held its first opening on Tuesday. According to a press release from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, the fishery was open for a little over an hour in the waters of Deep Inlet, Elikidna Bay, and Lisovskaya Bay. State managers say the estimated harvest amount from Tuesday's opening will be announced today. During Tuesday's aerial survey, a little over 10 nautical miles of herring spawn was seen on the southern and southeastern Cruzoff Island shoreline from Cape Edgecombe to Shoals Point and Fred's Creek. The fishery has been on two-hour notice since last Thursday. Sitka's Sustainability Commission will tackle three major goals over the next year and beyond. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it unanimously approved the Commission's work plan for 2023 and 2024. The Commission is the newest permanent iteration of the City's Climate Action Task Force, which disbanded last fall. It advises the Assembly with the long-term goals of improving the City's economic, social, and environmental sustainability. The Volunteer Commission has the help of a new city staffer, a sustainability coordinator position that was created last year. Over the last five months, the Commission has been working to narrow down its goals for the next year. After lots of meetings and community input, it narrowed that list down from 20 to 3. The first and top priority is to develop a community renewable energy strategy. The second is to look at options for diverting the city's solid waste, most of which is currently shipped out of town to a landfill in eastern Washington. The Commission's third goal is to develop a plan to transition the city's fleet of vehicles to electric. We'll have more coverage of the Sitka Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. The Alaska Marine Highway System doesn't have enough crew to run all of its ferries this summer. The system needs about 150 more workers, both on the water and on land. More than 200 workers have applied for ferry jobs in the last year, but the state has only managed to hire a few. As Coast Alaska Angela Denning reports, the state is making changes to its hiring systems, but it may be months or even years before the ferry system is running smoothly again. Micah Hasbrook has worked for the Alaska Marine Highway Service for 17 years. I've had permanent jobs on the Malaspina, the Taku, the Lakanti, and I've been on, the, I think I've been on the Kennecott now since 2017. She's an able-bodied seaman, meaning she mans the wheel or does other board jobs reserved for more experienced workers. She loves the work, but says in recent years, the job has been challenging. Longtime staff like herself have had problems keeping their paychecks year-round when the 50- and 60-year-old ships get tied up for maintenance. Other times, she can't get days off. Hasbrook says workers cover extra shifts because of short staffing, and then they're told they can't take vacation because of short staffing. I always think, oh, it can't get worse. And then it does, but yet the system's still somewhat there. It just It's mind-blowing. There's a huge payroll issue going on right now. Erling Wally is the regional director of the Inland Boatmen's Union of the Pacific, the largest of Alaska's ferry unions. He says paychecks don't always include all of the hours workers turn in. He doesn't blame payroll workers because they're short-staffed, too. We're not pointing it out that it's this person's fault. It's that whole payroll issue. They need to recruit people in there. And we understand that, but we still need to get our members paid. The shortage of maritime workers is worldwide. 
The pandemic didn't help. But Wally says Alaska has specific problems. A report released in January by a state contractor shows that people are applying for ferry jobs. The state received 241 applicants over the past year. Even though most were qualified, only four were hired. The report said, quote, Many applicants were lost due to a lack of timely communication. It said, The process flow is creating a bottleneck in the delivery of information to applicants. Sam Dapsevich is a spokesperson for the State Department of Transportation. He says the applicants got lost in the mix. There was no single coordinator um, that was dealing with recruiting and onboarding. Plus, sometimes the waiting period is too long. Applicants didn't want to wait months for required credentials from the U.S. Coast Guard and the state. Dapsevich says that's being addressed. They now have a position dedicated to recruiting and have a team meeting regularly. They've created a program where new workers can get on-the-job training, so they'll get paid when earning credentials. And they've beefed up advertising. He says they're recruiting on social media, in papers throughout the state and in Washington, and they're hitting job fairs. Believe it or not, this coming week we have one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven career fairs we're hitting, uh, two of them out of state at maritime communities. But that isn't likely to help in time for this summer. One of the state's main marine highways connects communities from Yakutat in northern southeast to Bellingham, Washington. Two of the state's largest ferries, the Columbia and Kennecott, were scheduled to run that route. But the DOT announced there's only enough staff to man one of them. If we were to try to run both of those ships, it was going to result in uh, cancellations, um, burnout of, of the crew that we do have. Dapsevich also addressed the payroll issues the union had complained about. He says those are partly because payroll was moved under the Department of Administration. He says they plan to move payroll back within the ferry system because of the system's specific needs. Wally says despite all the problems right now, the marine highway system is worth fighting for. He says working on ferries can be rewarding. You create a family on board, and you meet interesting people. This is a good job. This is one of the best jobs I ever had. But you need to get paid, and you need guaranteed work. So um, I think at this point, the Marine Highway can only go up. We, 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 we hit rock bottom. Robert Venables is the executive director for the Southeast Conference, a regional nonprofit that advocates for economic development. Venables says the Marine Highway system is in a perfect storm, but it's been a long time coming, starting with a very old fleet. But he says the state has identified new solutions, and his outlook is very positive. There is a, a much brighter future ahead, but it's going to take a couple of years to get there. Venable says it's clear the ferry system is critical to Southeast. It's a lot cheaper than taking a plane and has more flexibility moving cargo, such as vehicles. This year, the organization is planning to get updated information about the impact the ferry system has on communities in the region. Reporting for Coast Alaska, in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Monday, March 27th, was the anniversary of the Great Alaska Earthquake in 1964 and the deadly tsunamis that followed. Before that day, there was no formal way for the government to warn communities about the potential for tidal waves ahead of time. But in the decades since, scientists have been working to build and refine the tsunami alert system in Alaska. There will be a test of that system today, at about 10.15. Anna Canny has more. 
People in coastal Alaska might hear a tsunami warning on Wednesday morning. It's just a test, but the people sending it out are worried that not everyone will know that. That's because the system used to send out tsunami alerts is outdated and overly complicated. We're operating on uh, a system that is probably closer to where meteorology and weather science was 20, 30 years ago at least. That's Dave Snyder with the National Tsunami Warning Center in Palmer. At 10.15 on Wednesday, he'll send a warning signal out to local radio and TV stations. During a real tsunami, warnings would go out on cell phones, too. You'd receive a message on your lock screen with an irritating tone. Snyder says that's not supposed to happen during the test, but it could happen anyway. And that's because of the way automated systems talk to each other. When the warning center puts out an alert, all kinds of non-government entities like social media or weather apps can pick it up and spread it. And sometimes they misinterpret it. That means mobile alerts might not specify that it's just a test. Uh, There could be messages looking like a real problem when it really is just a test message. So we do rely on our third party uh, private industry and enterprise to make sure that they're making sure that they understand the code that we're using so that they can make sure we're not over alerting or scaring or, or harming people through bad messages. It's also possible that the warnings will reach people outside of the testing zone. That's because tsunami warnings are issued using the same boundaries as weather forecasting. They're generally very large areas, and they're not designed for tsunamis. That's led to imprecise warnings in the past. One of the uh, results of this will be to see, are there places that are getting this alert that shouldn't? And we may find a couple of those places. The technology for sending out tsunami warnings is still very much a work in progress. In a report last year, the NOAA Science Advisory Board called for a total overhaul of the U.S. tsunami warning system. But Snyder says that could take decades. 20 years from now, when we've redesigned the alert system, it won't happen. But it's a, a technology thing, and we're, we're constantly working to refine that. In the meantime, the Warning Center is hoping to collect feedback from people in tsunami zones following Wednesday's test. People can submit their comments at www.ready.alaska.gov. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.org. Well, thanks for tuning in. Time is 7 a.m. In the forecast for today, mostly sunny skies with the highs near 43 degrees. Northwest winds around 10 miles per hour. Increasing clouds tonight with a low around 36 Northwest winds around 5 miles per hour. And for tomorrow, a slight chance of rain and snow before 10 a.m., then a chance of rain. Cloudy skies with a highs near 41 degrees. South winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation, 40%. And once again, a reminder that at about 10.15 today, the National Weather Service and Division of Homeland Security will conduct a test of